Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. What makes mindfulness and and B's approach so important is that because she's worried enough to, she's had enough experience worrying and enough experience using mindfulness as a tool that she knows that is, it exists within her and she can tap into that so that she can navigate this on herself and by herself with a caregiver present for support, but it's really B who does the hard work so that she can arrive for the event she wants to arrive for. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 170. Today, we're talking about how to help kids who worry with Gail Silver. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans. Welcome back, or welcome if you're brand new. So glad to be in your ears today. It's crazy. So as I told you guys, I went on a silent meditation retreat, and I'm super excited. I plan on telling you all about that in next week's episode. So I will be telling you about that soon. But 
in just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down again for the Mindful Mom podcast with Gail Silver, and she is an award-winning children's book author and freelance writer, and she's the founder and director of Yoga Child and founder and director of the School Mindfulness Project, and I consider her a friend. She's amazing. She has some amazing books that we are going to link to in the show notes, and in this episode, we're going to talk about her new book about kids who worry. And her new book is called Mindful Bee and the Worry Tree. And it's really good. And this, this idea of using giving kids the tools of mindfulness for when they have worries in their lives to to help them get through those moments. It's really very powerful. And you're going to hear some of my takeaways that were really powerful for me, you know, 4.4 million kids in the U.S. have been diagnosed with worrying and anxiety. Wow. So we talk in this episode about how to help kids who worry and how also to institute mindfulness practices and digital breaks when your our kids are young and why that is so, so important. So I am so excited for you to join me at the table as I talk to Gail Silver. And before I do, I just quickly want to let you know that I am enrolling my Mindful Mama Transformation coaching groups now. I have been so excited to meet some amazing women who are joining these groups. We will be doing our work from August through December next year, and I am enrolling now. And this is about really taking the time to focus on doing the work it takes to become a mindful parent and the dividends of this pay out for a lifetime. It's really pretty amazing. It really works on all of your relationships and most importantly, your relationship with yourself. So would you like to work with me? Because if you would, I would love to hop on the phone with you. So you can learn more about it at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. And if you want to talk to me about it personally, just email me hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. And we'll hop on the phone and talk about getting you into either that Tuesday or the Wednesday group. So I look forward to talking to you about that. And now on to this episode. Gail, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited for you to be here too, because this is not your first time on the podcast. And it's your second time on the podcast. You Yay. are way back, way here and way back in episode number 27. Oh my gosh. 2015. Yeah. I, I just, I can't believe that many years have passed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so excited to talk to you because you you have written a number of amazing books that I continue to recommend. I love, love, love your, I love, love, love Anne's Anger still, and I continue to recommend it. But you have written your new book, Mindful Bee and the Worry Tree. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious about, I'd love to like to start us off by asking about why you wanted to write about worrying in particular. So, okay. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I think that through my, I mean, through my work and through my personal life with loved ones and with colleagues and with um, children in my various places that I've worked from 
the Child Advocate's Office to work through Yoga Child. And even more recently with the School Mindfulness Project, I, I've seen a lot of kids that struggle with worrying and anxiety. Mm-hmm. But even beyond that, it's, um, I think that it is the most recent numbers. I think there are 4.4 million kids in the U.S. that are currently diagnosed with anxiety between the ages of three and 17. Wow. I think that's an alarming statistic. But, but I think anxiety is one of those, uh, we can call it a disorder. I hate that word disorder, but um, mental illness or, or character trait, however you want to describe it, I think it's misunderstood. And I think that a lot of people perceive worrying and anxiety in children as just being bad. It's just, well, you know, oh, they, they just worry a little bit. They get a little nervous. And what's the big deal there? And it's really so much more than that. And I wanted to be able to empower those kids that already feel isolated from having anxiety and from worrying to be able to tend to themselves in a way where they don't have to be relying on anyone else in the room to help make themselves to feel okay so that they can feel strong and go forth and do what it is that they want to do in life or in that moment or whatever it may be. And I, you know, being a mindfulness practitioner, I knew that there are answers, there are gems, there are ways in, in mindfulness that can help. And to not share that through a picture book felt almost as though I was holding on to something that could benefit, hopefully could and would benefit a lot of people. So. Mm, well, good. I mean, I, so I read this to my daughter and her friend who are a little bit older, maybe than the age range for this book, mm-hmm. but they both enjoyed it a lot. And uh, you know oh, what good. I really appreciate about your book and your other books is that it's not too didactic. It's just, it's the story of a little girl, you know, it's not like, it doesn't get too self-healthy for kids. Which, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Know, That's just like, my, my hope because we don't, Right. Kids don't want to read those books. No, they don't. They don't. They want a character who can speak to them that they can see a little bit of themselves in or identify with and follow their path if they're ever so inspired. But they have enough of, you know, enough lists of things to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. With, with the rest of their life that they don't need that in their in their leisure time. <laughs> it's beautifully done. But I mean, Thank to you. go back to that statistics, that's amazing. 4.4 million kids. Yeah. diagnosed with worry and anxiety. And that mirrors really reflects the incredible, you know, wave of anxiety that's happening in adults too. Mm -hmm. Right? Like all these kids grow into adults. (laughs) (laughs) We're all kids once. (laughs) And it sounds like a lot of adults are saying, are downplaying it. Like, it's not such a big deal. We, you know, kids worry, she'll get over it, he'll get over it, that kind of thing. Well, I don't know. I wasn't so much saying it was the adults who Mm. think that. I think any adult who has a child who worries and has anxiety would never minimize it because they live through it and they see how big it is and how it takes over an entire being in an entire household, um, days, weeks, years, lives. It's, it's, it's enormous, but people who don't, um, who don't bear witness to it, such as the friends of like a friend of a child who has anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. They might not see, they might not really see what's going on and, they might not know how to interact or be around a child who has anxiety or a friend who has anxiety. And I wanted for, particularly for the 
peers of people who suffer, maybe relatives of, of kids who suffer but don't live in the same household as the child, you know, maybe teachers, uh, maybe caregivers who might not really understand it, who don't witness it all the time but only hear about it, to, to sort of see the cycle of, um, of anxiety from, its, from where it's sort of subterranean to where it blossoms to what it really looks like at its, at its height, to, to, when it, to when it's eased away, so that they can really understand what the, what, what the kind of havoc it's wreaking on the child and how they can best support them while they're moving through it. Hmm. It's, interesting. it's interesting to me because I, I've been challenged with anxiety as an adult, and that's something mm-hmm. that I've been working with and things like that. But as... I don't know. I guess my, I think back to sort of my perception of just myself personally as a kid. And I think of myself as this super confident kid <laughs> in a lot of ways, but I guess there were, and, and I'm just wondering, like, I'm trying, and maybe I just have rosy lenses of the past. <laughs> Love <laughs> and, those lenses. <laughs> you know, we tend to forget all the bad stuff, which can be nice. And I'm wondering kind of where is the anxiety coming from for kids? Do you know anything about that? I think I mean I can I can speculate, mm-hmm. but you know I'm really just you know that that would it would be no more than speculation. I think that there's a couple of different things going on. I think one one issue is that I think that it there's sort of this phenomena that that social media and that just you know the accessibility we have into everyone's lives has, has created, and that maybe there's the possibility that there isn't a tremendous increase in anxiety from when we were younger, but maybe it's just more, or we're just more aware of it because of how much people are sharing and people are less private about it. Maybe childhood anxiety went undiagnosed more regularly when children, when we were younger. So that's certainly one possibility. I think that more likely is the, is the possibility that we don't, you know, in today's, in today's world, being a child, we don't have those built-in breaks from the things that cause anxiety. Like when I was little, I spent so much time climbing trees and running around and riding my bike and getting out in the fresh air, spending time alone, staring out of windows, being bored. You know, life was, life was different than it is now. And mm. Today, if you want your child to have those kinds of experiences, you have to almost set them up for them and, and sort of peel away other things that are there and pull things away that, you know, would pull them into the, you know, the digitized world where all of the things that they'd be connecting with are anxiety provoking. So for example, like if a child maybe is having a little bit of anxiety around some issues at school, some mm-hmm. You know, maybe it could be a friend or a non-friend or, or something that's troubling them. You know, in, in 1978, that kid might have come home from school and, you know, had a snack and gone outside to play with her neighborhood friends and forgotten all about whatever happened at school and headed back into school the next day with a newfound confidence based on her sort of mindful activities running around the neighborhood and playing with other friends who she feels supported by. But in today's day and age, that friend never really leaves the anxiety-provoking situation. That child never really leaves the anxiety-provoking situation because they come home and texting in group chats 
FaceTiming or, you know, seeing things through, I guess it used to be musically, but now that's, you know, you have to be 13 to get on there. And then as kids get a little older, whether it's through Snapchat and Facebook and just whatever is being, whatever is going around through that world, it's always with you. You know, and when they, and when kids do go out for a walk, they take their phone with them. So Mm. there's just this kind of inability to escape and replenish and reset, which is so important for our, our mind and our mindset. So I think that's a, that's a big component as well. So those are my sort of two thoughts around it. Uh, I would love to totally unofficial people. (laughs) Right. I would love to know. I would love to know the real answer. (laughs) Yeah. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility and joy. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think it's fine for us to speculate, but that that does make a lot of sense in a lot of ways. I think about that like that's exactly what I did when I think back to my confident 9-year-old days. <laughs> it was like always like everything I can picture is outside. Like I was biking through the neighborhood. I was, you know, in this park. I was in this, you know, going to this cafe, you know, doing all these things, right? Mm-hmm. And it was always outside always. And that idea of just, yeah, that break. And that's true. Like we never really get that break. It's interesting because as we record this, it's a couple weeks before I go on my first seven day silent meditation retreat. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> oh, and, I want to hear all about it. So <laughs> and it's so interesting because, um, you know, I realize, you know, 
I have, since I've had my cell phone, I have never been away from it for that long. <gasps> and it's just so funny to like, I just had that thought about that last night. And I was like, that's going to be really weird. And I felt this feeling of like, oh, it's going to be like, I just kind of have felt, had this feeling of like, oh my goodness, you know, and, and I don't feel like a super phone addicted person. You know, mm -hmm. I do put it away and I do put it down and I do not leave it alone for period, you know, I leave it alone for <laughs> periods of time, mm -hmm. but it was just interesting to just to think that I would be completely without that connection to all the things that happen in the digital world. And that, you know, that was in, in an odd way, like slightly anxiety provoking. <laughs> it was just like, yeah. but then, but then, you know, I'm thinking about how, but that is uh, one of those breaks, right? That's the, that escape, replenish and reset. And I, you know, that idea of resetting, which I do a lot in smaller ways, like I do on Sundays, we have a screen free Sunday and I just led a retreat for, for women. And, and we did, you know, it was very, very minimal for me, uh, phone checking. Cause I just sort of used it as a, a tool to play music, but that resetting, it feels so good when I do it, but it's interesting how we can be in this, there can be this inertia of this is how we do things and we're always doing it this way. And, and I'm sure that's the same for kids. Like we're just, we're doing it this way. We're always checking. And so it's hard for them to, you know, I, my daughter who's in fourth, third grade reports to me that, you know, cause she knows I'm interested in these things. She said, <laughs> yes, my friend so-and-so at school, he like goes home and he, he plays whatever Minecraft or uh, Fortnite. And then he, he does it while he's eating dinner, mommy. Can you believe it? <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, you know? So I can see that. And that's a like kind of progressive public Montessori school. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this is the norms got to be just constant, constant digital access constantly. Mm-hmm. It's, and you probably have a lot of experience with this because you're in the schools with your work with school mindfulness projects, right? Right. So with Yoga, Yoga Child has been actively in the schools for almost 20 years now. School Mindfulness Project is we're piloting our programs now. So we're in, pre, in our pre-program service phase and meeting with schools administratively right now to start up programming in the, in the fall. But it's, um, I do see it. I do see it in schools. Sometimes, um, you know, my teachers and yoga child teachers will report back to me that they couldn't, you know, get the kids to relinquish their cell phones when they came in for class. We usually have a basket that we like to collect them in. And sometimes, you know, some classrooms are less cooperative around that. And some kids will even start pulling out their phones during and after school yoga class. So there's, there's a lot to battle with there. But even in, in my own household, I, I was sitting with um, one of my daughters on the sofa the other day and I was having a conversation with her and she started texting with, with a friend. And I said, come on, can't you just, you know, put that down for five minutes so we can finish talking about this. I'd love to look at you when you talk to me. And she said, yeah, sure. I can in just a minute, but I have to respond to so-and-so because she thinks that I'm mad at her because I didn't repost her such and such. You know, it was something, I forget even what app she was on. And are you still there? Yeah. Okay. All right. Excellent listening. You wonder, I'm not getting interrupted. Did this person face? Okay, so, um, and I said, she, and I said, well, I'm mad at you. What, what do you mean? Are you mad at her? I don't, I don't understand. And she said, I said, how long ago did she post that picture of you that she wants you to repost? And she's like, I don't know, like a minute ago. 
And I said, oh I don't, and I said, I don't understand. I said, please explain this to me. I don't understand. And she said, well, you know, it's common on this app that when someone, um, you know, puts something up and it's a picture of you and you like it, you know, you repost. So I've been reposting everyone's all day that they've been sending me and I haven't reposted hers. And I said, but she just sent it, put it up like a minute ago. But my daughter had to respond to that and she felt as though she, you know, had to, otherwise, you know, there's a friend that's worried that she's mad at her. And it's that kind of, it's, there's that kind of cycle that's sort of happening and that, you know, through no fault of any, anyone's, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's there and they don't, they don't really get to, to step away. You know, you have these, you have these screenless Sundays, which are fantastic. And I remember doing things like that when my, when my children were younger and now it's, it would be a, it's, it would be a big fight to do. My kids end up, it, it sort of ends up happening more punitively in our house after certain things happen that the screens come away for a little while, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily the way I think anyone wants to run, run things, but it's hard when you have 17 year olds and 19 year olds and 13 year olds to, so, so I think the screenless Sundays and keeping that going mm-hmm. um, through your, you know, through, through the years is, is the greatest gift you can give to your family for so many wow. reasons as individuals and as a family unit. Wow. Okay. I'm going to hold on to that now. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to it. That's amazing. Yeah. My daughter is, my oldest daughter is 12 now mm. and just kind of like, you know, doing the part of like begging for the phone right at this point. But I really do want to hold off. I mean, that's got to be hard for you, like that worry, because you're informed about the challenges of that. And you're also informed about the benefits on the other side of being in the the real world <laughs> and less in the digital world that's got to be have a lot of provoke a lot of worry for you it's definitely been a challenge it's been a big challenge of, of parenting for me and i think that it's you know you you come together with your partner and if you and your partner see things differently and my husband and i have had very different ideas about phones and computers and mm. all the digital technology. So it's been, it's definitely been something that I've had to work on. And I try to balance the, I try to sort of much in the way with my picture books where the message kind of comes through um, not too didactically, mm-hmm. where there's a character that the reader can identify with. I try to balance to provide practices and engaged ways of being and living that balance what's coming with the technology so Mm -hmm. that my kids are grasping onto things through my modeling or through ways that, you know, we weave mindfulness into sort of, you know, games in the car, just, just different things through our life. And I see it working because it comes back, you know, at times, you know, months, years later, where they show me that they know a practice not because I'm asking them to show me, but because I see them doing something in order to adapt or respond to a difficult situation. It keeps me active. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you're kind of trusting in this base of the, there's a strong foundation here of awareness of what's healthy and, and good for us mentally and for our hearts and, and kind of trusting that strong base for you. It's challenging. It's challenging, isn't it? I mean, we know what it feels like to disconnect and to tend to our inner landscape. Mm -hmm. And we know how important that is because we did it when we were young. And now we do it when we're older, when we carve out these these pockets for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But our children who have never had that don't understand how it feels different inside Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. when you don't have it. So they don't get it. And adults who haven't done it and don't reflect back on it as fondly as you and I do, <laughs> they don't get it either. So it's, it's, it's a tall order and a big job. So we all do our best, right? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to ask people to turn it off. It is. I really do think we are kind of like, uh, you know, the proverbial frogs in the pot of boiling water, like where the water has been heated up sort of slowly bit by bit over time. And, you know, we're kind of starting to realize that we're boiling, right? Like we're all Mm -hmm. suffering the effects of these the technologies, which are amazing. Like, you know, dear listener, you're listening to this podcast probably on your (laughs) iPhone, you know, like I'm in your ears, like on your iPhone. And and that's amazing that we can have this incredible dissemination of um, information. And that's amazing. There's this, I feel like there's been this amazing learning curve where people are just learning so many things because the information is out there now. But there's these challenges. It's interesting. I guess like in, in Silicon Valley, there, there was a whole article recently about how um, the makers of technology are, are, keep, are making sure their kids have these like screen-free lives. Like they're in the Waldorf schools and they making sure the, the babysitters like yeah. give them no screen time and show them no yeah. screen time and things like that. And that's fascinating, uh, right? Yes. To hear that they, the makers of these technologies are, are wor- really worried. Yes, it is. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. If I, you know, if I were starting all over again, I would probably do the kinds of things that I, that I know are important and force them on my family when they're very young Hmm. so that, and maybe not let them, not let those things fall away so, so quickly. Like, you know, traveling to places like Plum Village with your kids when they're very young so that it becomes a regular family habit. Mm. Right, so that they so that they start to feel that growing up, and they can look forward to that one week or one month, whatever it is, each year, going on family retreats on a regular basis, and bringing whoever in the family you can along, so that you have a partner there. At least you know if it's not the whole family, part parts of it, so that some people are beginning to experience experience that on an ongoing basis, where it's not you, the parent, parent levying the rules around it, where they can experience it in a, in a, in a cultural way. In a cultural way. Yeah. I mean, so for the listener, Plum Village is the retreat community of Thich Nhat Hanh. It's in France, but they also have a monastery and a retreat center in um, New York, which is yeah. called Blue Cliff Monastery. And actually, I'm feeling really grateful and lucky right now because that's something I have done with my kids since they were young. And actually, they, you know, as you were talking about how they don't know, like, actually, my children know what it feels like to be in that environment. And they, there's something about it. It's funny because at the time, sometimes they're like, these are, the monks and nuns are weird, you know, like, and like, they just kind of think some things are, they'll, com- you know, like regular life, they'll complain about things being boring, boring or whatever, but they reflect so fondly on that. They, f- they mm-hmm. feel differently there. They feel really good. I mean, everybody kind of feels good there because there's just no pressure. You're, you're, you know, no responsibilities, you're relaxed and all of those things like to, to have a retreat experience, I think is, is really valuable for all human beings, but I'm, I'm grateful that my children have done it. Actually, Gail, this is funny. This is turning into like a personal conversation, but, um, but you know, they have a whole huge program for teenagers that like, they had like 75 teenagers there. So anyway, yes. maybe we'll yeah. talk about this. I've been, I've been there on, uh, to do readings and I usually see the, um, the teens kind of slump down 
really <laughs> bored and and sometimes even pulling phones out of their pockets <laughs> of in, in my time there but it's yeah they do I know I would but, and again that's why you know you keep them going when they're young so that when they are teens you're not bringing it up for the first time <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah are there any other practices because a lot of the listeners have really small kids are there any other practices like because you that you would want to think about starting in the family when, when they're young to kind of hold on to some, some space for presence of mind and for, for being bored and all of those things. Is there anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, there are. I think there are, there are a lot of things that we can do. I mean, and I, but I think if we're talking about this piece around mindfulness, mm-hmm. which is sort of what we're, what we're hinting at. Yes. We haven't said the word, but yes. Okay. All right. So, well, I mean, maybe I think one of the things that's so important when you're sort of when you're mothering is to sort of realize that your children are going to model what you do from a young age. So what you want to see in your children, you need to be practicing and doing for for yourself and and for them in in your activities and what you do, and then also in the way you communicate um, with with your children, with yourself and with the world at large. So, you know, from an activity standpoint, I think if you want your children to get comfortable with, with, with boredom, for you to become a, a, this is going to sound a little funny, for you to become a practitioner of mindfulness first, so that you're not trying to teach children to be content in the moment until you know how to really be content and still in the moment. So if you, um, you know, if that means creating some time and space for yourself first so that you are an informed parent, an informed, you know, educator in this way, then that's what that looks like. And it's so important to do that for ourselves anyway, because we don't want to raise children to think that it's okay to always put their needs first and that the mother's well-being is always second, right? Mm-hmm. We want our children to grow up and know how to tend to themselves as, mm-hmm. as mothers or to look at their partners and know that their partners need to tend to themselves. But I think that um, if as a parent you sit down and you have a sitting practice and you keep that door open and you set up some cushions on the floor and you either light a candle or put a flower there and you stare out the window, your young child is going to wonder, where's mommy? What's she up to? Hey, why are you just sitting there? And they're going to come sit with you and crawl into your lap and you can hold them and breathe together and they can see you being still. And they can experience what that's like with you. And then together, there are so many, you know, that's sort of a jumping off point for so many different conversations and ways to be and ways to be mindful together in that moment. I did write a whole article um, last year on how to sort of be the family that meditates together. Um, There were some tips in there for, you know, mindfulness games that you can play with your children and mindfulness activities where they don't feel as though they're being taught to meditate, but they feel like they're engaging with you in a mindful way. And it then sort of sets a platform for their, um, for their future independent practice. So like, for example, I'm, I'm sure you've done things like this, but when my children were little, I would sometimes, sometimes I would take like a sweet piece of fruit out of the fridge, like a blueberry, and I would eat it and I would eat it really slowly. And they might be eating like three or four or five at a time. And then I might say, hey, let's see if we can have a contest. Let's see how many bites it takes us each to eat 
the blueberry. And maybe the person who has the most shoes, you know, uh, to get to the end is the winner. And they loved that. And they would always beat me. They would, you know, the children are sort of organically mindful. Sometimes you would do it with a piece of candy or even a gummy bear, you know, and I'd be three gumdrops in and my daughter would still be sucking on her first gumdrop. You know, there are, um, there are just ways to sort of connect them to the world at large in a, in a mindful way. We used to like to source our food a lot at the dinner table where you would um, look at what you're eating and think about all of the people that were responsible in bringing that food to the table. And the first time they might say, well, you went to the market and bought it and you cooked it. So it was you. But then we go back behind that to the person who put it on the shelves at the market, to the person who took it off the truck, to the person who got it from the farm, to the farmer who chilled the soil, to the person who you know, cultivated the seeds, whatever it may be. And, and, and so they can see, really see um, their, their connections to mm-hmm. the rest of the world from, from simple, basic, everyday activities. That's lovely. That takes them out of this smaller sense of self and kind of and into this larger sense of yeah interconnection with with everything. I love that. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna make that challenge for my kids. We'll see if they see right through me and say, "Is this a mindfulness thing?" <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna try that. That's cool. And you mentioned in the car. Do you have any? You said when it rains in the car. Hmm. One of our big ones was. Just looking at the the little raindrops that form on the on the window set on the window pane mm. on the glass mm-hmm. and sort of imagine these little races so you're watching oh, and you're yeah. seeing to see which drop gets from one side to the other first yeah. and then we have a um it's actually the yoga child cd uh, called a peaceful place inside and it has a whole bunch of sort of car-friendly meditations that I guess because we've listened to it enough over our lives, we know them already. So for us, they're very easy to kind of replicate, but it can be as simple as um, ones that you know you could incorporate without having a CD are maybe if you have a route that you go every day, let, let's pretend that you drop your kids off at school and you have to drive a couple miles and you get to the last traffic light before the school or that's maybe it's maybe it's you know three blocks from school to um let that for that that space from that traffic light to the time you pull into the school's lot or the school's driveway to be an opportunity to count our breaths and see how many breaths it takes to get from that light to school on a given day some days it might be longer some it might be shorter it might be 50 breaths for one person and 20 breaths for another person. Hmm. Um, so sort of tying little bits of, um, of that kind of practice into the car ride can sort of set them up for a mindful launch as they set off into school. Or maybe if you're on a long car ride, you could do something like that at the top of every hour just to kind of press the reset button. I know a lot of families, when they go on car rides, the kids kind of sink into their screens for a long time. And when you arrive, there's this um, sort of dizziness that sort of sets over everyone as they step out and try to function with real people and real fresh air again. And I think sort of having these moments where at the top of every hour for five minutes or 50 breaths, we're going to do this or do that and incorporate um, some of those types of breathing games. It can be very helpful. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, 
a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hmm. I love that. I love that. I remember, I've, I think I've just done that organically, like re- watching the little raindrop races. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I like, the, I like the raindrop yeah. races, yeah. you know, and it's interesting when I think that, you know, at least in my family, I've seen that my, they love the family retreat. They love that. They love that space. But also I took my daughter on a, a backcountry hike and we like camped out for two nights and hiked. Mm. And of course, you know, there's, <laughs> you're just in the woods, right? The whole time. And, and she craves that now. It's really, she really like, we're planning another trip, you know, and, and that was her birthday present is to like do another trip. Oh, that's it's really, so wonderful. really interesting to see that because I kind of what, what worried, you know, that so when we were halfway, when we were, you know, at that place where you're mostly up the mountain, but you still have a ways to go and there's nothing to do, but keep going. (laughs) She was going to hate that. (laughs) Like, this is good. She's never going to want to do this again. But yeah, it's interesting that she actually enjoyed it a lot. I think maybe we, um, yeah, if we push the envelope a little bit on for some things that we can, we can kind of hold on to some of these things. So hold, if you have young kids, hold on to some of these things when they're young, implement them when they're young and hold hold on to it. So circling back to worry, Mm -hmm. what are some things we can do to help kids who are worrying? Mm -hmm. It's a complicated question. I think that when kids worry, it's, it's important to first assess, is this, is my child just a little worried about something or does my child have, you know, really have anxiety that's getting in the way of their ability to do, to do the things they want to do. And I think if you've got a child who is, so, um, you know, so panic stricken that they're unable to go to school or they're unable to go to a party or they're unable to go to the movies or whatever it is they want to do. It's really important to realize that the whole family, including the child might benefit by getting the child some, some sort of professional support. So that's a good time to maybe check into seeing, I think a therapist who specializes in, 
in some behavioral therapy to help the child, to help the child along and to help support the parents by empowering the parents with some tools and ways to be at the time that the child is, is, is having anxiety. Hmm. I think um, in conjunction with that, there are the kinds of things that B does in Mindful B in the Worry Tree. And I can certainly speak to those kinds of things. And I think that it's an important part of, it's really an important part of, of the process because when you, when you go to, when you go to therapy and a therapist helps your child understand what's happening in them and gives them tools for what to do and gives the parents tools for what to do, the parents and the children sort of come at it together and collectively as a, you know, as as a unit when, um, when problems arise, when, when worry rears its head. But what makes mindfulness and, and B's approach so important is that because she's worried enough to, um, she's had enough experience worrying and enough experience using mindfulness as a tool that she knows that is, it, it's, it's, it exists within her and she can tap into that so that she can navigate this on herself and by herself with a caregiver present for support, but it's really B who does the hard work so that she can arrive for the event she wants to arrive for. Because our, our goal really is to make sure that worry isn't getting in the way of our life. A little bit of nervousness, a little bit of worry is okay, but we need to be able to overcome it so we can arrive for what we want to do. And I think what, what B did and what I think is really the most important part of navigating any type of anxiety attack or any type of worry is to have this sort of um, aha moment like B had. And her aha moment in the book, I don't know if you remember, I don't want to put you on the spot, but there was one particular moment where there's this one phrase that she says that allows her to then move along and sort of, um, sort of do the hidden mindfulness exercises that then take her you know, over the finish line and really ch- change her from what I think is a worrier into a warrior. And, mm, um, the what if moment? It was, it was it's like, the, make this end. <laughs> so, well, that was, so it was, it was shortly after that. So when she's sort of, you know, when she's asking, you know, she has those what ifs, all the big, all the, the worries about everything that can possibly go wrong with her birthday party. And, you know, they're piling and piling and piling up and the doorbell rings and, and the doorbell rings again and her friends are coming and she just feels so sick. And all she can think about are all the things that are going to go wrong. And she's saying she has all of those thoughts in the book, one after another. We hear, we hear and see each one of those in, in big bubbles over her head. And when she finally says, make this end, as you, as you said, and then she runs outside, once she gets outside and she hits the, the cool air and the, I'm just going to take a sip of water here, get very excited and very passionate <laughs> about Bea and her hard work here. She sort of takes pause after she notices the cool air and she feels the grass and she hears the birds in the sky and she's in a different environment. And she's sort of close to the tree, which is the metaphor for the anxiety now. And she's, it's, all, it's all out there. But she says, wait, what if I choose what I think about? And it's that moment where she realizes that anxiety doesn't have to be in charge here. Like, you know, it's a choice. And I think it's important to point out that the thought comes before the feeling with anything that we experience. So if we're feeling angry, there was a thought we had first that made us angry. If we're feeling anxious, 
or worried, there was a thought that we had that made us feel that way. And then we get all those physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. And sometimes all those physical symptoms start to take over and then they cause more worry. And it's sort of this cycle that is, it becomes very difficult for the child to get out of. And they can't stop thinking about the worry thoughts and the, how awful the, the worry thoughts are making them feel physically. Mm-hmm. So if they're able to just have a, have a way to pause. So sometimes, you know, a therapist might say, you know, you put a hand up like a stop sign. I like to use the, the pause moment was sort of the change in environment was getting outside into the fresh air and sort of seeing the, the tree, the metaphor for anxiety right there. And she sort of, you know, that was, that was her, her moment that was sort of set up her moment of reflection. So she could say, wait a minute, what if I choose what I think about? Hmm. And I think that works well for children and for adults, because what it really is, it's that setting up for mindfulness. Mm-hmm. It's making you aware of what your thoughts are. Where is your present attention right now? Is your present attention on, you know, all of the things that can go wrong? Or is your present attention on the sound of the birds in the sky? Yeah. Or is your present attention on, even better, your breath? Mm. And then she slips into sort of the rhythm of her breath and the in and the out, and then ultimately into blowing up the balloons, which is really um, a way to, for her to focus on her breathing. Mm-hmm. And that to me, I think no matter what type of mindful breathing you do or mindful walking you do or noticing something in nature or, um, or using a tool that you might learn in therapy through cognitive behavioral therapy, I think that it's that, that first moment of remembering, wait a minute, I'm in charge here. This is my mind. I can choose what I think about. Um, I know it's, it's helped. I don't, I don't have anxiety, but I've had things in life that have, have gotten in the way that, I used, that scare me. I used to be very scared of flying. Mm. And, um, and interestingly enough, I think I told you this when we last spoke, but it was right around the time that I had to go to Plum Village um, for, for work, for um, a screenplay I was working on at the time. And I, they had booked me on like five different flights to get there. And it was my first time flying without my oh family. My and I was a wreck. Um, and I sort of did all of these crazy things to reschedule my flights, to make them in and out of cities that I thought were safer cities to fly in and out of. And it was nuts. They thought I was crazy by the time I arrived and all the changes I had done. And here I am all these years later, and I love to fly. I put mm. me on a plane, I'll go anywhere. And that thinking was a big part of what helped me. It's that, what if I choose what I think about? So, mm. and yeah. realizing that I can, I can set my mind up and then I can, you know, listen to a favorite song and think about the song and the way it makes me feel, or I can do some, you know, internal chanting, or I can stare out the window and think about how, you know, awesome it is that I'm soaring above um, soaring, soaring so high above, I get, I get, I get almost like this giddy childish excitement. Like, wee, look, I'm flying now. It's, it's, it's really been quite magical. And it's so, it sounds so simple and ridiculous, right? What if I choose what I think about, but it's so important for us to realize that our minds have a way of going off without us. And yeah. it's the way that we can, we can sort of reel it back and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm in charge here. Mm, I love that. I love that. And what's beautiful about your book is that I know from personal experience and other experiences that it's hard for us as parents to be the teacher of this to our children Mm. because they just have resistance to talking about uncomfortable things and, you know, 
And it's nice to have it come from another child or another source. It, it's more acceptable often when it, it's this other source. So thank yeah, you. That, that's my goal. <laughs> that's exactly why I put these into picture books. Yes. Exactly it, why. Yeah. So I'm glad you feel that way. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I I love it. I think it's wonderful. I have to think about who I need to give it to now because my my old my children are a little are a little yeah. old. They're not going to reach for it as much, but I think I might donate it to my my school, which I think would be really nice for them to have a version of this of this book and and tell the teachers about it. Um, I think I think that's that sounds like a good idea, and I think that keeping in mind that. Um, you know, this book, yes, it was first and foremost a, a book to provide a lyrical roadmap for kids who worry and to empower them. But it's also, it has a secondary purpose to really increase awareness around anxiety and to break down its stigma by normalizing the anxiety. So by sharing it with kids who um, maybe have friends who have anxiety in a school setting, it can help them to become more compassionate um, towards mm. our other young warrior warriors and ultimately and hopefully allow them to feel less isolated. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Dear listener, you, this would be great. We could do that together. We can get mindful, be in the worry tree and, and donate it to our kids' classrooms and tell the, you know, point the teacher to this conversation and just say, here, here we go. Like, this is this great resource. Let's read this with our, with our, with all the kids so that we can all become a little more compassionate and then our kids can have these tools, right? I love Dogman is great, but mindful being the worry tree should be in the mix too. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. And I think it's important because these books that are published with these sort of niche presses, don't always end up on the bookshelves in the big stores while they're available there. You don't always see them. They're not going to hit you in the face when you turn the corner at Target to get your milk. So letting our teachers know about these books, um, letting you know libraries know about these books, letting your friends know about these books or anyone you know who has a child that has anxiety know about these books can go a long way. I, um, I did the launch reading last weekend and I got one of the greatest compliments I ever had from a child after a reading. And um, she came up to me afterwards and you could tell she was shy, but she, in her, the way she looked at me and the expression on her face, I could see there were so much happening behind her big, beautiful blue eyes. And it seemed like she didn't want to speak at first. And she walked away and then she came back a few minutes later and she said in a very quiet voice and a barely audible whisper, I really like the way you describe things. And I said, did you mean for the exercises we were just doing together? Or did you mean in in the book? And she said, in the book. And, um, you know, I learned that from her mother that she struggles with anxiety. And what she was saying was that, you know, I think she's saying, you kind of nailed it, Gail. (laughs) That um, (laughs) this is how it feels. And this is, those those are the kind of thoughts that I have. And I feel less alone knowing that, um, knowing that B is out there and that, and that she can do this, I can do this too. Yay. Oh man, that's wonderful. That gives me a fuzzy feeling inside, Gail. <laughs> that's for sure, a fuzzy feeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I so appreciate the work that you do. Like you've taken your journey and you're, you're dedicating what you're doing to spreading the word of these tools to others in schools where they really, really need it and to kids who really, really need it. And 
I love, love, love Ons Anger. So if you want a, a you know book about anger, I love that's an amazing book. And then and then mindful be in the worry tree. But anyway, I just want to thank you. Thank you for coming on the podcast and thank you for for using your voice in this way. It's it's really um really wonderful. It's part of you know a wave and and you're really making a difference. It's really beautiful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Hunter, for your lovely words. Very kind sentiment. I, I love what I do. And it's nice to know that there are people out there who love it too. Um, but I applaud the work you've been doing. And I'm grateful to be here. So thank you for thinking of myself and B and on and his anger and steps and stones and peace, bugs and understanding, which, which take on a little uh, mm-hmm. further along into his elementary years. And for giving us a forum to share you know, to share these characters with, um, with your listeners. So cool. Uh, yeah, and, and it's and, always so awesome to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll come back in another four years. We'll see. What, <laughs> so, um, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Gailsilver.com is my author website. And from there you can find my Twitter and my Facebook and, and, and all that stuff. So gailsilver.com and then click on all the icons and follow me everywhere. <laughs> and then take a break once a week. <laughs> <laughs> at least. That's funny. You're right. Yes, and take a break. There's lots of mindfulness tools and tips in, in, in the following. So you'll you'll hear that. You'll see great <laughs> suggestions for ways to, to reset. Um, Maybe I'll, I'll I'll send you off with one that's about when it's time to reset your computer. Yeah. And yeah. restart your computer. Use that time to to count your breaths. So you're resetting along with your computer. That's a good idea. I like that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Hunter. Have a great trip. I want to hear all about it when you get back. All right. Sounds good. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Mindful Mama podcast. Isn't Gail wonderful? I love her so much. This, um, you know, we've got to take steps to help kids who worry to help us parents who worry, right? That's our first step. Uh, it's the world we live in today is moving so fast that this becomes one of the most important things we need to focus our energy and attention on for sure. And if you would like to do that work, with me, I am enrolling my Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Groups right now, and it will be for the second half of the year. And I'm so excited to enroll these groups. It's I love meeting the amazing women who join, and it is for you if you would like to improve your relationships with yourself, with your children, with your partner, that tends to happen. Uh, along with it, if you would like to be able to learn how to, you know, state your needs without being blameful, would would you? If you would like to be able to thrive, basically, we're gonna help you get to that place where you can create willing cooper- cooperation from your kids, where you can have strong, healthy relationships, and most especially with yourself. So the dividends with the for this 
work really do pay off throughout your relationships and throughout your lifetime. It can be very powerful. I invite you to see what's happened for others at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. And uh, if you want to work with me, this is a great opportunity, really intimate, wonderful groups. And I invite you to email me, hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. If you want to set up a time to hop on the phone, uh, that would be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. And if you'd like to join, check it out at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. They're filling up now, so don't wait. Now is the time to join, and I look forward to meeting you. It's so exciting. So I hope you're going to have a beautiful week. I hope that you can take some of this um, and water your good seeds from this podcast, right? Water, water your seeds of peace and joy and happiness and take them into your week. I truly wish that for you from, you know, I was thinking about from the bottom of my heart, from really more from the depth and the, the width of my heart feel, felt feels so very open since my, especially since my silent retreat, which I will tell you about next week. So I'll see you then. I hope you're subscribed and, and you'll get it right in your, your inbox next week. And uh, yeah, wishing you, you a beautiful week. Take care, my friend. Namaste. Are you a mom who wants to feel less stressed and enjoy motherhood more? Do you want to be calmer with your kids and be more present for all of your life? I'm a mom who has gone from really being stressed and yelling when my kids were young to be having a more grounded, more at ease relationship with life and having more enjoyable, cooperative relationships with my kids. And I've shown hundreds and thousands of women around the world how to do this. And I want to show you how to do it too. So if you are currently feeling stuck or stagnant, this is definitely for you. I've created a free downloadable audible training, Mindfulness for Moms, the superpower you need. And it will show you how to respond rather than react, how to let go of stress and feel more grounded in seconds, how to have a smoother day today and become more present for your kids for a lifetime. To get on on this audio training absolutely free, simply visit the website www.mindfulmomguide.com. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was... Steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel 
real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.